0: haven't met my name's terry smith i'm the lead pastor here at the life christian church so glad you're here so thankful for everybody joining us online thrilled to have the opportunity to 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 teach four times today and to be a part of all this um great to have a capacity crowd in the new reality uh, not the kind of capacity crowds we're used to on easter but i'm so glad you're here socially distanced masked and all Um, So, Dr. Francis Collins, you're probably familiar with him, one of the most celebrated scientists in the world. Um, He's most noted for having led a team of of scientists worldwide to sequence the human genome. He was uh, appointed by President Obama to lead the National Institutes of Health, which he still does. He's Dr. Fauci's boss, actually. I think that means he wears three masks, but nonetheless. Uh, he, he began his, his, his journey as an atheist um, but um, after earning his, his Ph.D. in chemistry at Yale, he went to study medicine at the University of California. He was working in a hospital and he had a patient, a woman, who was dying and all medical possibilities had been exhausted. And he was amazed by how this woman had such faith in Jesus and talked about her faith and said, Dr. Collins, don't worry about me. I I, I know that dying is not the end for me. And then she said, Dr. Collins, you've been so kind to me and to listen to me and to hear me talk about my faith, but let me ask you, what do you believe? And Collins later wrote, nobody had ever asked me that question before I realized I didn't know the answer. I felt uneasy. I could feel my face flushing. I wanted to get out of there. All of a sudden, by this simple question, everything was a muddle. As a scientist, I had always insisted on collecting rigorous data, yet in matters of faith, I'd never collected any data at all, so I decided that I should be a little better grounded in my atheism. So I challenged a patient of mine who was a minister, and he suggested that I read the Gospel of John. We've been teaching through the Gospel of John for seven weeks, and I'm going to finish that teaching today. He suggested that I read the Gospel of John, which I did. I found the Scripture to be interesting, puzzling, and not at all what I thought faith was about. Then I began to read C.S. Lewis, a great Oxford professor, apologist as most of you know, and realized there was a great depth of thinking and reasoning that could be applied to the question of God. Collins had previously believed that the stories about Jesus, and particularly the resurrection, were just myths. But as he read the Gospel of John and studied some of the historicity and uh, some of the uh, 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 empirical evidences around, for instance, the resurrection, he was stunned at how everything supported the actual truth of the story of Jesus and Francis Collins, based on the accumulation of evidence that he observed, concluded that God exists and that Jesus is the Son of God and that Jesus had in fact been raised from the dead. Now, the fact is then that the the most important thing about this supremely intelligent and talented doctor is not his innate ability or uh, his extensive training or the creativity he has to help map the human genome. The most important thing about Dr. Collins is, he would quickly say, what he believes. Or, more accurately, who he believes in. It's no surprise to me that it was while reading the Gospel of John that he came to believe that Jesus was the Son of God, who came to save the world and him. For this has been the testimony of countless millions of people as john wrote in a postscript to his account of the resurrection he was really clear what his motivation was for telling this story about jesus he said what has been written down in this book the gospel of john has been written down to this end that you will be believers that jesus really is the messiah the son of god and that by believing you can have the life that is as present as the simple invocation of his name So the guy who mapped the human genome responded to the story of Jesus, as told in the Gospel of John by believing in Jesus. And his testimony is that when he believed in Jesus, he actually began a relationship with the source of life itself and was filled with that life. Now, we know that to believe in Jesus is not just to believe that he exists, but to trust that what he did through His life, death, and resurrection, makes it possible for us to literally receive His life, which is the theme of the Gospel of John. Not just life after death, but life now. Life that animates everything in our present reality. Deep, meaningful life. Life as God has it in Himself. Now and forever, life in all of its fullness. So it seems to me on this Easter Sunday morning that the most important question I can ask us is, or I'll ask you, what do you believe? And particularly, what do you believe about Jesus and the resurrection? Do you believe that the story of Jesus is true and that it matters for you? Because when you believe that, you are actually then regenerated by God's Spirit. Now, this Easter season, I've been thinking about another uber-intelligent and extremely talented man who in his own way came to confess his faith in Jesus in the aftermath of the crucifixion and prelude to the resurrection as told in John's Gospel. And I want to spend my the rest of my time today talking about this guy named Nicodemus. Nicodemus, along with another guy named Joseph of Arimathea, took the body of Jesus down from the cross, prepared it for burial, and buried it in, in, in Joseph's own tomb. Here's what John writes. Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, but a secret one, because of his fear of the Jewish people. This is important to the story. Both Joseph and Nicodemus are extremely prominent people who it appears have come to believe in Jesus, but it's not until after the crucifixion that they kind of make their statement and they do it by their action of taking the body of Jesus off the cross and preparing it for burial. Let me try to read this again without interrupting myself. Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus but a secret one because of his fear of the Jewish people, asked Pilate for permission to take the body of Jesus away. Pilate gave him permission, so he came and took his body away. Then Nicodemus came too, and here's the way that Nicodemus is always described, the man who would come to Jesus by night first. I'm going to tell that story at some length in a moment. Bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes weighing almost 100 pounds. So they took the body of Jesus and wrapped it up with linen cloths, along with the spices in accordance with the Jewish custom of burying. Now in the place where Jesus was crucified, there was a garden. And in that garden, there was a brand new tomb in which no one had ever been placed. So there they put Jesus. So Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus were very prominent leaders in Judaism. Both of them were members of the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin was the council of 70 people who oversaw all the affairs of Judaism, even under the auspices of the Roman Empire. It was a Supreme Court, a legislative body, and a law enforcement body all wrapped up in one. Mark tells us that Joseph of Arimathea was a prominent member of the council who was himself waiting for the kingdom of God. Now this will become important to what I'll say as we dig in uh, to the text a little further in a few moments. Joseph was waiting for the kingdom of God. So presumably, we learn, was Nicodemus. What did it mean that they were waiting for the kingdom of God? They were waiting for the Messiah to come who would overthrow evil powers and set up a kingdom based their thinking was in Jerusalem and establish uh, uh, his rule and where in his rule his kingdom would have no end. And the idea was that the Messiah when he brought the kingdom would bring renewal to everything on the planet. So Joseph of Arimathea is a prominent member of the council and he is waiting. It's like he's on the edge of his seat waiting for the kingdom of God this becomes important. Now, Joseph was also rich enough to have his own burial plot, which is a big deal, prominent enough to ask Pilate for the body of Jesus, courageous enough to take the just crucified body of Jesus off the cross and bury it in his own tomb. But my focus is Nicodemus, who was probably an even more well-known person in in leadership at that time in Jerusalem than than Joseph was. He's introduced later by John as a leading figure of the Jewish people and Jesus referred to him singularly as the teacher of Israel. I mean this is a guy who has a, a an incredible grasp of all the prophecies about The coming of the Messiah, the establishing of his kingdom, the renewal of all things. He is, Jesus says, the teacher of Israel. And the thing that Nicodemus is most famous for is coming to meet Jesus by night under the cover of darkness to engage him in a conversation evidently in response to some things Jesus had taught that had piqued the interest of Nicodemus to the point where he was beginning to put his trust in him. So Joseph, secret disciple, Nicodemus, secret disciple under the cover of darkness guy. But after the crucifixion of Jesus, these two guys came out in broad daylight and by their actions confessed their faith in him in the darkest moment of the Jesus story and the darkest moment in human history. And Nicodemus brings a hundred pounds of very expensive burial spices, a fortune worth of of spices to cover the broken body of Jesus. And Joseph gives Jesus his own very expensive tomb. My question is, I have a lot of questions, what happened that caused Joseph and Nicodemus to leave the shadows and come out in the light of day and show their faith in Jesus? Now I'm gonna offer my thesis here. My strong belief is that both of them had come to believe that Jesus was the Messiah who in fact had come to bring the kingdom of God. And I believe that Nicodemus in particular had come to believe what Jesus had actually said to him when Nicodemus came to him under the cover of darkness. I believe that Nicodemus believed that when they put the body of Jesus in the tomb that it wouldn't stay put. I believe that Nicodemus believed that the horror of the crucifixion was about to be redeemed by resurrection. I believe that Nicodemus believed that the body of Jesus lying in the tomb tomb of Joseph was temporary because Jesus had said that he would be raised from the dead. Therefore, Nicodemus confessed his faith in the darkest hour, but in broad daylight, because he knew that the crucifixion wasn't going to be the end of the story. I'm not going to claim that he understood exactly what when how, where, but I do believe with all my heart, based on what I'm about to teach, that he be- he'd he come to believe that when he put that body in the tomb, that it wasn't going to stay there. So here's why I believe it. Let me, let me now dig into the text for the rest of the time. I want to talk now about five things that Jesus said to Nicodemus that moved him from night to day. During the Lenten season, if you've not been tracking with us, we've been teaching through the story of Jesus in the Gospel of John. And and what we've been doing is we've been taking either a section of Scripture or a story in Scripture, and we've been dissecting it a little bit to see what what we can learn about Jesus that will help us explain to us more about God. And so today's the final uh, message of this Lenten series. And I decided that I was gonna dig in the same way I've been digging in at risk of putting people to sleep. But nonetheless, uh, I actually don't think that. Well, I believe in resurrection if it does happen. And so, all right. And so I'm going to now deal with the passage of Scripture from John chapter two verse nineteen through John chapter three verse twenty-two. I quickly say, pardon the sausage making, but it might be important for those of you interested to know that most of the time when we think about Nicodemus coming to Jesus under the cover of night, we start the story in John chapter three one where that happened. But actually, it becomes very clear that the translators interrupted the flow of the story when they designated chapter three as chapter three because the story actually starts all the way up in in John chapter two when Jesus goes to the Passover festival and walks into the temple and he sees money changers taking advantage of people and making money off of holy things. And he's furious and he overthrows the tables and he drives them out and then a crowd gathers around him. And when the crowd gathers around him, Jesus makes a remarkable claim about himself. Nicodemus is either in this crowd or Nicodemus hears what Jesus said to this crowd as the story lets us know. So let's dig in it like this. Here's the first thing that Jesus said either now directly to Nicodemus as a part of a crowd or to a group that Nicodemus heard from. Jesus said, I will be resurrected from the dead. Here's the text, John chapter 2, verse 19. Jesus said to them, he's standing in the temple of Herod in Jerusalem. It's fashioned after the temple of Solomon, uh, which had been torn down. It's been rebuilt in its glory. Jesus is standing there in the temple that the Jewish people were so rightfully proud of. And he said, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it right back up again. So the Jewish people said to him, sure, this temple has been in the building for 46 years, and you're going to put it back up in just three days? But that man, Jesus, was talking about the temple of his body. So when Jesus had been raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that Jesus had been saying this kind of thing, and they trusted the Scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. Now, while Jesus was at the Passover festival in Jerusalem, many people placed their trust in, in his person so Jesus stands there and prophesies his own resurrection now to the casual observer they're not understanding in fact I'm sure no one completely understood but someone who'd spent their life waiting for the kingdom of God now has their interest piqued and people now start to believe what Jesus is saying about himself and they begin to put their trust in him I think that there's no question that Nicodemus either directly heard Jesus say this, or this, trust me, was the conversation among the religious elite in following hours. This guy is saying he's going to raise himself from the dead. And I think that when that these types of things informed the thoughts of Nicodemus, and were part of the motivation. What's going on when he buries the body of Jesus, what I think is probably about two years later. He didn't do it ignorantly. Jesus. This isn't the only thing he said about his resurrection. John also has Jesus saying something actually more direct that I'm sure people who were paying attention had were aware Jesus had said in John chapter 10, verse 17, Jesus said, I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. Again, I think Nicodemus came to a point where he believed what Jesus said. And I think that that point came to a a, a climatic moment at and in the aftermath of the crucifixion and now nicodemus is moved by what he's heard jesus say let's go back now john chapter 2 and 3 we're now it's early in the ministry of jesus jesus is at the passover celebration he predicts his own resurrection and we're told people started putting their trust in him now nicodemus is one of the people who start to respond to jesus he hasn't fully come to faith but he's interested enough now to start asking questions. Here's the second thing Jesus said to Nicodemus. He said, I see you. So let's pick the story up in John chapter 2 verse 23. While Jesus was at the Passover festival in Jerusalem, many people placed their trust in his person. That was the last verse of the last section. I read it again to get properly located. But Jesus was not trusting himself to them because he knows everyone and because he did not need anyone to give him testimony about the nature of the human being. You see, he himself knew quite well what is inside the human being. It's fascinating. People start to trust Jesus, but Jesus doesn't trust them yet. Now, there was a particular human being from the serious party, or the Pharisees, Nicodemus by name, a leading figure of the Jewish people. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God because no one can do the remarkable signs you are doing unless God is with him. So what's happening? Jesus makes this claim about himself. People begin to place their trust in them. But it says Jesus wasn't trusting them yet. Why isn't he trusting them yet? Because they're still early in their journey and not fully believing, not comprehending, which wasn't their fault. They're just starting to take baby steps. And one of the person who begins to trust but is not yet fully trustworthy, is is a particular human being named Nicodemus. It's just fascinating. Jesus says, I know what's in human beings, and here is a human being named Nicodemus, regardless your title, regardless your prominence, regardless how much you know, Nicodemus, I see you. I see you. The fact that Nicodemus came to Jesus by night is evidence of his just humanity in in the good part and the bad part. The fact he came is really an act of courage on his part, just in case anybody would find out that this prominent religious leader is showing up and asking Jesus questions. But the fact he came at night, well, it tells us another part, right? And, and see, and, but Jesus says, I know what's in you, human being. And this, what was in Nicodemus is the same kind of stuff that's in all of us. Courage and cowardice, doubt and faith, deep insight about some things and completely missing the point about other things. After all, we're just human beings. And Jesus says to us, just like he said to Nicodemus, I see you. Now, here Nicodemus is. He's, he's starting to trust, evidently, if, 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 if you read the text the way that I've just read it. But, but, He's not sure yet. And part of the way that we know he's not sure yet is he, he refers to Jesus as a teacher who's come from God. Now, this is on one part from the perspective of Nicodemus. That's a lot to say. He's acknowledging Jesus who's now said he's going to be raised from the dead to be a teacher come from God, but he doesn't quite understand yet that he's actually talking to God, right? But he, it's okay he's on his way he's just a human being trying to figure this thing out and then here's the third thing Jesus said to Nicodemus even you can be must be born again so Nicodemus says hey I know you're a teacher come from God and here's what Jesus said back he didn't say hi nice to meet you let's shake hands he said amen amen I want to tell you something very important Unless an individual is born all over again from above, that person cannot even see the kingdom of God. I mean, there's not even a good segue there, is it? But when you understand that guys like Nicodemus, their whole thing was waiting for the kingdom of God, you can understand then why Jesus says, hey, let's get right to the point. I want you to know something. I want you to know something. If you're looking at me perhaps as somebody who might be involved in bringing the kingdom of God, you need to know in order for you to even see it, to even comprehend it, to get it at all, you're going to have to be born again from above. Nicodemus says to him, how in the world can a human being be born at all when one is already old? One cannot go back into one's mother's womb a second time and be born there again, can one? Please, Jesus responded, I mean, can you understand Nicodemus isn't being a bad guy here? He's just saying, what? Jesus responded, amen, amen. I want to tell you something very important. Unless an individual receives a birth out of water and spirit, that person cannot ever get into the kingdom of God. So Nicodemus, in order for you to see what it is you're waiting for, you have to be born again. And Nicodemus uh, uh, I, this this birth is a birth of water and spirit. It's a reference to, the, to what happens when a person puts their full trust in Jesus and is baptized. There is a spiritual rebirth. And then he says, Jesus says, the person who has been born out of the flesh is a flesh person. And the person who has been born out of the spirit is a spirit person. Nicodemus, yes, you were born once from your mother's womb. You received life. Uh, but, but it's life where you're just existing. The Greek, as we've talked about in recent weeks, is bios. When you were born of your mother's womb, you received life, but it was bios. Basic biology, you're existing. But now, when you're born from above, you're going to receive new life, and the life you're going to receive is zoe. This is what Jesus has promised all the way through the Gospel of John. You're going to receive life, distinguished from existence. You're going to receive life as God has it in Himself. You're going to receive life in all of its fullness. You're going to receive life in such a way that you are going to come alive to the reality of my kingdom. Nicodemus responded and said, please, how in the world can these things ever happen? Nicodemus was very canny. How can a person be bored when he's old? Can one? How can these things even happen? I mean, you can understand his questions. And Jesus responded to, to the inquisitiveness of Nicodemus by saying, are you the teacher of Israel and you do not understand these things? In other words, there's an assumption here on the part of Jesus that Nicodemus should be making connections. He's not, you know, someone on his life is centered. He's the teacher of Israel. He's supposed to understand things like this, that when the Messiah comes, the Messiah is going to bring rebirth to everything in the world. Old Testament prophecies. We saw it in Israel, didn't we guys? We saw the desert blooming, and we saw uh, the wilderness with streams flowing through it. And we This is part of what the Messiah is, is supposed to do, is to bring renewal to the entire planet. Now Jesus is saying to Nicodemus, Nicodemus, you shouldn't be surprised that I'm talking about a spiritual renewal. Maybe you didn't. realize it needed to happen to you first but it's got to happen to you first before it can happen in the world around you nicodemus you ought to understand and not be surprised that i'm talking about a new birth because the messiah is going to cause everything to be reborn And then Jesus says, if I have told you folks earthly things and you are not believing, how in the world will you believe? He's still talking to Nicodemus. How in the world will you believe if I should tell you heavenly things? Hey, Nicodemus, teacher of Israel, I'm not going to stay in the earth level now. I'm going to get in the heavenly level with you. You ought to be able to track with me. Well, here goes, Jesus says. No one has ever gone up into heaven except the one who has come down out of heaven. I am talking about the Son of Man. Now Jesus uses the magic term by which He describes himself in the gospel of John we've talked about it in recent weeks when he calls himself the son of man he is both referring to his basic humanity, Jesus, who was fully man and fully God, but he's also referring to Old Testament prophecies that designate the Messiah as the Son of Man, who's going to have dominion over everything in the world. Not time to get into that anymore today, except to say that now he's, he's now, he's now, he's blowing Nicodemus's mind. Because now Jesus says, Nicodemus, I want you to understand, I didn't just come from God. I am God. And if you want me just to talk about earthly things, I can, but you ought to be grown up and sophisticated enough for you to understand what I'm talking about here. I'm telling you that I am God come from heaven, and I can cause you to be born again. So someone says, well, how in the world then can we be born again? And the answer is really very simple. It is simply by believing God in who Jesus is and what Jesus said. Somehow or another, guys, when we fully believe, when we take that step of faith, when we come out of the dark and say, here I am, I'm buying in, I believe, God by His Spirit in a way that's a mystery to us causes our spirit to come alive. Something dead in us comes alive to God and God's stuff, His kingdom, and it happens when we confess our faith, and there's also an indication here in this passage that it happens when we confess our faith and are baptized. We're born of the water and of the Spirit. Guys, when we talk about uh, being born again, it's, it's I, I want you to understand that that it's something that happens in you where your spirit comes alive. But when we're born again and our spirit li- comes alive, it animates everything in our lives. It affects everything. We, we see now and enter the kingdom a new dimension of life where there is an expectation now that this new reality in our life begins to bring, the, the, the theological term is regeneration, not just to us but to things around us. Regeneration means dead things begin to live. It, it, the regeneration is a combination of two words in, in, in the original language of Scripture, Genesis and again. When we are regenerated, when we're born again, we have Genesis again. We go back to the beginning, to the way God wanted life to be in the beginning. And, and, and so what happens now, when you come into this new spirit dimension of life, it affects everything. So dead things start to come to life your business maybe it's dead or dying after a year of covid but i'll tell you that your business can experience regeneration you say how does that happen somehow or another the holy spirit in us brings life to things in our lives we see and enter the kingdom a new dimension of life relationships dead are regenerated uh 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 Futures that seem to have somehow been uh, sidetracked, get back on track. We live in a new reality called the kingdom of God. And we'll see the final reality. We'll see the final reality in the age to come, but we experience it. We taste it now. And see, then Jesus is saying, hey, Nicodemus, you know, understand now, I'm the son of man. I'm the one who can cause you to be born again. We're not just peers here. You a teacher and me teacher. I'm the son of man. And basically he's saying, Nicodemus, what do you believe? Here's the fourth thing he says, my death will bring life. So now, Text goes on john three fourteen through eighteen now it 's important to note that that many scholars uh, believe that the, the, the words of Jesus directly to Nicodemus go all the way through verse twenty two again if you 're tracking some think those the words of Jesus end at verse fifteen, and John gives a synopsis of what Jesus is saying in the next few verses. doesn't matter. It's the Word of God, therefore it's the words of Jesus. This is what Jesus is saying, and this is all now continues to be directed to Nicodemus. He says, you see, just as Moses lifted up the serpent, and and what's Jesus talking about? He's talking about life, 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 life. But now he starts talking about death. You see, just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so the Son of Man has got to be lifted up. So you remember, many of you will, no time to get into it. There, there's a story in the Old Testament about Moses lifting up a serpent on, on, uh, in effect, a cross, and it brought healing to the people who looked at it. Jesus, Nicodemus understood what Jesus was talking about, trust me. And Jesus now says that he has to be lifted up. Nicodemus isn't foolish. He, he, he understands on some level what Jesus is talking about. Jesus is now saying, I, I'm gonna be lifted up so that every single individual who is simply trusting this may by means of him, the son of man, Jesus referring to himself, have deep lasting life. My death, he says is gonna bring life. You see, John three sixteen. God so loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son so that every single individual, whoever is simply entrusting oneself to him, would never be destroyed, oh no, but would even now have deep lasting life. Jesus says, listen, in order for me to give you the life I just promised you, I'm gonna to have to die. And why did he have to die? He had to die because, well, sin keeps us from having what God wants. Human choice, you know, brought darkness to the world. And so God had a plan that he would, he would show back up in the person of Jesus and bring life and light back. But in order for Jesus to give us everything he promised, he had to pay the penalty of sin on the cross so, so that he then could enter death and defeat death. He couldn't give us the life he's talking about unless he entered death and dealt with death. And it was only by dying that he was able to enter death and do that. So Jesus says to Nicodemus, who at this point his head has to be spinning around. Wait a minute, let me tell you, I'm gonna be lifted up on a cross. See, I think it makes perfect sense That when Nicodemus saw the body of Jesus hanging on the cross, there is every reason to believe that he's remembering these words. He's been thinking about this for two years. There he is. That's what he said. And what did Jesus say? When I'm lifted up, I'll draw everybody to me. And then here's the final thing that Jesus said He said, Nicodemus, you will come to the light. And here's how the text continues. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people loved darkness instead of light. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what they, what they have done has been done in the sight of God. This is what I hear Jesus saying to Nicodemus. Remember, why Nicodemus is there why? He's there to ask questions based on Jesus prophesying the resurrection. But he's come under the darkness of night. And I can hear Jesus saying to Nicodemus now, I know you came to me tonight in the darkness, but Nicodemus, you're going to come to the light. And it might have taken a while, took a couple of years, but finally Nicodemus did come to the light. And not just on the day of the burial, but one senses that Nicodemus lived in the light the rest of his life. It fascinates me that Nicodemus openly expressed his faith in broad daylight, yet in the darkest hour of the Jesus story. See, a lot of people came to faith after the resurrection. But Nicodemus appears to come to faith, or at least express his faith, before the resurrection. Why? I'll say it again. Because I think that he'd come to believe what Jesus told him. And that included the fact that the darkness of the grave was only temporary. See darkness in scripture represents evil. When John said that Nicodemus came in the night, he was being very deliberate in his descriptive terms. Darkness was, is never, and night is never a good thing when you talk about it in the imagery of scripture. Nicodemus came in the, in the darkness, and darkness in scripture represents evil, negative energy, chaos, Darkness represents the worst things that we can face in, the, in, in, this, in this world. Last summer I read the uh, biography of Thomas Edison written by Edmund Morris, really marvelous. Thomas Edison during his lifetime was the famous, most famous man in the world. And he was the most famous man in the world because he brought light. That's why he was so famous. Uh, He had like 2,000 patents, but the thing everybody remembers and should is that before Edison, the world was really dark. And after Edison, and during his lifetime, most of the developed world was lit by electric lights. When Edison died, President Hoover uh, was given a request by someone, an idea, that all the lights in the United States should be turned off for one minute. And uh, Hoover thought it was a great idea, but he said, we can't turn off all the lights. We cannot go back to the way things were before. If everything goes dark, it will destroy our entire economy, even if it goes dark for one minute. So when Edison was being buried over here in Montclair at the Rosedale Cemetery, for one minute, every light in America that could be shut down without bringing total darkness was shut down. Just lasted a minute, but the president knew it couldn't last any more than that. Listen, guys, when 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 Jesus Christ died on the cross, Luke's gospel says that the whole world turned dark. It was dark till about three o'clock in the afternoon. The gospel says, and sometime now. In the light of day, Nicodemus comes out to take the body of the cross, of Jesus off the cross. But trust me, the world was dark at that moment. For three days, the world was in darkness. See, what John said early in, in his gospel as he said that the darkness tried to put the light out, but it could not it was dark for a few hours, and then it was dark for a few days. But see what happens with someone like Nicodemus, who now has faith in Jesus, is he knows that it's not gonna stay dark forever. He knows that somehow even in that moment where things look so bad, you can just imagine this 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 prominent leader wrapping the bloody, Battered, beaten body of Jesus in a hundred pounds of spices and linen clothes and and, and putting him in that, in that tomb of Joseph. You can just imagine how terrible on one hand he felt, but on the other you have to know he knows. He's made the connections. He gets the idea. He believes that Jesus said this is only temporary. The darkness is not going to last forever. And what we know is What we know is three days later, the life force that created the universe re-entered the broken body of Jesus and caused him to come alive and be resurrected from the dead. Listen, our faith should not only be in Jesus and his ability to cause us to come alive, But also, let me just say, this should affect everything in our lives in terms of what we believe about the world around us and our posture toward the world around us. See, part of what we learn from the resurrection is even the worst day is only temporary. We learn that the baddest thing, the worst thing that can possibly happen, pardon my grammar, is going to have a happy ending. We learn through the resurrection that things that seem to be over and done and buried and messed up and broken have the potential of being resurrected because of the life of Jesus Christ. And you know this last year has been tough for all of us and especially tough for some of us. But the beauty of it is we have to know that even the darkest day is temporary because Jesus promised that He was going to bring new life to everything. And I think that Nicodemus, when he buried Jesus in the tomb, he knew. He didn't know three days. He didn't know exactly how. He didn't know when. But he knew, this looks really bad. This looks terrible. This looks terrible. But I'm a believer. (laughs) I'm a believer. And I know that this is not the way the story ends.